I think one of the biggest things that parents can do to really help still promote health, and I say that lightly, I don't typically like to use the word healthy, especially when it comes to food, right? Because by my book, health is not a size, it's not a number, it's a behavior. One of the big things I really like to encourage, not just my clients, but I work with a lot of adolescents. And so with their parents and families and support systems, we talk a lot about the language that we use around food and around your body and getting so much away from like, this is healthy. This is unhealthy. This is junk food. This is clean food. If I hear the term clean clean eating during a session, I'm like, okay, just so you know, we get that clarity, you know, again, if I use the term clean eating, I'm talking about something I can give to my like 20 month old where she doesn't walk away from the table and there's mess everywhere. Hey there, I'm Amy Connell. Welcome to Graced Health, the podcast for women who want simple and grace-filled ways of taking care of themselves and enjoy a little chocolate in the process. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach who wants you to know your eating, movement, and body don't have to be perfect. You just need to be able to do what you're called to do. I'm super pumped for this episode with Brittany Broswell. Do you know the difference between eating disorders and disordered eating. I didn't until just a few minutes ago. But in that conversation that we just had, I learned I probably would have been classified under disordered eating several years ago. If you've listened to episodes two, which is called my story of the podcast, you may recognize some of the symptoms my guest today, Brittany Broswell describes. Brittany is a registered dietitian and recovery coach who helps women struggling with disordered eating and negative body image reduce their anxiety and disordered behaviors so they can confidently restore their health and ditch food rules forever. Can I get an amen? Ditch the food rules. She emphasizes the importance of replacing negative beliefs with spiritual truth to help her clients discover their God-given identity without their eating disorder. She runs a virtual private practice with one-to-one sessions and group coaching programs to help women achieve lasting freedom from the bondage of their disorders. This is an important conversation, particularly as it relates to our adolescent children. But I think sometimes, uh, you know, it may be that we recognize a little bit of ourselves in some of what she's talking about. I know I did. I promise you are going to receive several nuggets of wisdom that are applicable to everyone. Now, before we get to Brittany, I do want to remind you of the resources page over at gracedhealth.com slash resources. Whether you're looking for food, fitness, or faith-based support, I have you covered. You'll find a 14-day devotional, on-the-go power protein-powered breakfasts, how to enjoy shame-free health by breaking eight rules, and my latest workout offering, squat-free, strong legs. Again, that's at gracedhealth.com slash resources. Okay, let's bring on Brittany. Brittany, welcome to the Grace Health Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Yes, thank you so much, for Amy, for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Well, I am really um, anticipating this conversation as we were kind of talking a little bit before we got, uh, before we started recording. You know, this is not a broad topic, but it is a really important one. And, um, you know, I have struggled some with my own body image issues in the past. I wouldn't say I had, um, you know, disordered eating, 
but um, definitely have just had my own journey. And I have a lot of parents open up to me about um, their child's struggle with, um, with eating and maybe not eating in um, a holistically healthful way. So I'm really um, grateful for your expertise as a registered dietitian. You know, I'm a nutrition coach, but I one of the very important things that I want to do, I always try and make sure people know, I'm like, look, I am not an RD because it takes a lot more time and, <laughs> and energy <laughs> to become a registered dietitian. Um, so to that end, I was wondering if you could share a little bit of your story about becoming a registered dietitian and uh, that path and what you love to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've really kind of always wanted to be in the healthcare arena. Um, even since I was a child, one of my best friends fell off a fell off a horse and broke her arm. And I thought, oh, I want to be the one that fixes that. So for the longest time, I wanted to be a surgeon. And then as I got into school and got into college, um, I had had braces uh, in middle school, I guess, and kind of switched and thought, well, maybe I want to be an orthodontist. So I was always kind of in this like, medical, dental. I wanted to serve people in that way. Um, but I got into college and just realized I had less of a passion when people would say like, what do you want to do with your life? What, what kind of job do you have? want to have? It's like, I don't know, but I want to serve people. Um, and I love teaching and I love just helping like develop people as a whole. And so that kind of led me into nutrition. Um, I'm also a little bit of a foodie. Like I love, I love all things food. (laughs) And so it just kind of aligned. Um, so I went through, I, I got my undergraduate degree in nutrition and dietetics, which is kind of that prerequisite for becoming a dietitian. And, um, and there's a lot of, I guess, process uh, to becoming dietitian. So you, you've got to complete um, like 1200 hours of supervised practice in a professional program. So I ended up at a, at a pretty large research um, and teaching hospital to do my internship, loved it, had a great time. But I I ended up having more of a focus on the medical nutrition side of things, which has an amazing place, so helpful for for the treatment of of a lot of like chronic conditions and things like that, but less teaching, less education, less preventative, definitely less relational. Um, I was doing like two Mm -hmm. feeds and um, if you're not familiar with a TPN, it's like IV nutrition. So I was doing a lot of that in the hospital setting. And just felt like the Lord was calling me to something different. Um, So I ended up in finishing out some grad school and did higher education for a little bit. I helped teach, develop and teach some graduate courses in nutrition and kind of wellness space. And it was in my time actually in grad school that I was really introduced to the field of eating disorders and treatment. And so that is kind of where my current focus is right now. You know, it's funny you talk about... um with the, with the teaching, I was just talking with a colleague, friend of mine and personal trainer. And I was telling her, I said, you know, what I really love is I really love the education part of this. And I love like the why behind why we're moving. So I completely relate to what you're talking about. Okay. Before we get going. So you tell, you say that you are focused on um, eating disorders. I -hmm. also, as I was looking at your website, I see the language disordered eating. And I was wondering if you could help explain the difference to me, because I know sometimes our language needs to shift a little bit um, for various reasons in various various capacities. But tell me a little bit about eating disorders versus disordered eating. Is there a difference? Is there something that is preferred to use and all of that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, that's such um, a frequently asked question. And I love it because I think one of the most important things about the recovery process is getting clarity. And I think this is a great area to do it. So um, I would say there's four primary distinguishing factors that make an eating disorder, like that that make you need to use that term. Um, So the first one is really that an eating disorder is a diagnosis um, and it's it's a primary condition. So that means it really exists in and of itself. It's not a symptom of another cause or an underlying disease. So that's kind of the first one. Um, The second one is that it's progressive. So an eating disorder is going to typically become worse over time. It's not just going to go away or be something that, that just, you know, it's a phase kind of thing. You'll kind of hear that sometimes with um, a lot of times parents will say, well, I, I think this is just a phase, you know, I think they're just not eating well, or it's, something along those lines. So an eating disorder in itself is, is going to worsen. It's not just going to kind of come in and out. Um, the third one is really that it's chronic. So that really means it's going to have typically a long duration and oftentimes it can recur frequently. So there might be the, the disorder thought processes might be continuous, but you may have bouts of more intensive or severe behaviors kind of lessening and maybe that kind of cycling back and forth a little bit. And then the thir- the last one, fourth one, is that um, eating disorders really have a very high fatality rate. So unfortunately, eating disorders are one of the the highest um, mortality causes in when it comes to to mental health and um, psychiatric kind of health care. There's a lot of mental health struggles, but between the different behaviors that come along with that mental health struggle, you end up having a lot of physical, emotional, mental, social changes that really kind of become more cumulative over time. Um, so no, that's a bit of a long definition. Um, but those are really some of the things that, that make us say, this is like, this is an eating disorder. And as a dietitian, I do not have the ability to give somebody that diagnosis. That's usually up to a, like a psychiatrist, Mm -hmm. um, or psychologist therapist can kind of do the diagnosing. Um, And I will say, I'll kind of describe what disordered eating as well, but one of my big things that I'm super passionate about with my clients is even if you have a diagnosed eating disorder, like let's please don't label you with that, right? Let's, let's don't, if you struggle with um, restrictive type tendencies and you've given the diagnosis, you've been given the diagnosis of anorexia or bulimia or whatever, I'm not going to treat you specifically based on your diagnosis because Millions of people might have that same diagnosis and your struggles might be unique. So um, that is something to kind of keep in mind. Um, The diagnosis does tell us as a whole the type of struggle you have and maybe how severe it is, like how long it's been happening or how frequently. Um, So that's kind of what an eating disorder is. Disordered eating um, is a little bit different as far as um, what all I guess would be included, um, or what assumptions you can make. So disordered eating, that term is not a diagnosis. It's really, um, maybe like a set of behaviors that you struggle with that's maybe doesn't depict classic eating disorder symptoms, um, or it may not meet all the criteria. So in order to get a, a diagnosis of an eating disorder, there's a particular, um, psychological manual that is used that has, that has various criteria you have to meet, but disordered eating could still include behaviors like binge eating, um, laxative use, restricting of any sort, dieting, calorie counting. Um, maybe it's restricting certain food mm-hmm. groups. Um, it could include 
having your self-worth based on your body image or, you know, body weight, your, your body image is affected according to your weight. So I know, I know you mentioned kind of at the beginning, like this is a fairly like narrow subject, but it affects so many people because Amy, I could probably guarantee that if I went out and just polled people in the city of Birmingham and asked them some basic questions about what their beliefs are around food, I bet you 90 to 95 of them would struggle with at least one of these types of behaviors, right? Because we live in such a prominent diet culture. Yeah. Doesn't mean they have an eating disorder, mm-hmm. right? But but if if you're listening to, to this and you've ever counted your calories, doesn't mean calorie counting in and of itself is always going to lead to an eating disorder, right? But it's it can very frequently lead in that direction. Um, and oftentimes the mindset around calorie yeah. counting or dieting comes from a disordered mindset. Does that, does that kind of make sense or kind of help with that distinguishing yeah. factor? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yes, that does, that does make sense. Thank you for doing that. And as yeah. I'm listening to you, I'm like, yeah, I probably would have been one of those 90 to 95 people in the disordered eating <laughs> at, uh, at different parts of my life. So I can, I totally get that. Well, thank you. And I appreciate too, you know, when you talked about not wanting to put a label on it, um, that's kind of what I was alluding to. Like I had a guest on in May, Heidi Pollack, and she wrote a book um, about a family member who um, passed away suddenly. And I was, I was sending her some questions that I wanted to talk about. I said something about um, uh, committed. I said something about committed suicide and she Mm -hmm. responded back. She said, I just want to let you know that the language now that we are really trying to use is um, death by suicide because it's, you know, not wanting to create that identity around it, which made so much sense. And I was so appreciative of her educating me about yes. that because the last thing I would ever want to do is add pain to someone's, to someone, the pain that they're already experiencing. So anyway, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have had, you know, I've shared on this podcast before and I've shared in my blog back when I went in my blocking days, a lot about, uh, body image issues. And I just learned that I had some disordered eating <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I have been fairly open about this and because of that, I think it just opens the door to some of, um, some of my friends hearing my story and feeling like they can be a little bit more open with me. And I have had a lot of parents, you know, kind of share some concerns with me that they've had about their children and mostly daughters, but definitely not only daughters. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like to kind of focus our time a little bit on that today. So talk to me a little bit about what are some red flags that uh, might indicate disordered eating or an eating disorder in our children? Yeah, that's such a great question because I think the the first step into reducing the frequency of this and getting help is really having that increased awareness around what does this look like? Um, Because it can look so different for so many people. But that being said, there are a lot of very common, um, commonly experienced behavioral signs and physical signs that you can watch for. So um, from a, from a behavioral standpoint, whether this is children, teens, or adults, um, you're really going to, you're typically going to see a lot of excessive criticism or comparison. Like maybe they're talking a lot about their body weight or shape, or they're saying, oh, you know, I wish I looked like so-and-so or so-and-so has, you know, maybe some particular body part that they really admire or wish they had. So there's usually a lot of talk around that. Um, There's also usually a lot Mm -hmm. of preoccupation with food or calories or weight. Um, 
This is something I see, unfortunately, that's really a learned behavior, right? Like (laughs) when you have a baby that is born, whether they are nursing or taking a bottle, whenever they get done, they usually turn their face, right? Like they're not thinking about how much do I need to eat or, you know, at what point should I stop? It's just this more intuitive nature to kind of kind of in tune with their own signals. Um, but when you get overly preoccupied and you feel like there's all these rules around how much should I consume? What should my weight be? That should word shows up a lot. <laughs> so that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot and a lot of kids, this can show up. I, I think I see it more in teens than I do with kids, um, but a lot of compulsive or excessive exercise. Um, and I'm all about movement. It has so many benefits, um, but it can be done in a, a way that's very obligatory, right? Like I've, I've worked with kids and teenagers right. who are involved in sports and love it and they move a lot, but the mindset around it is totally normal, totally healthy, and they're fueling their body for that. Um, so if you see a lot of, hey, I, I ate this, now I'm going to go for a run, right? I got to run it off or work it off. Or I can't have this particular item or dessert or whatever it is until, you know, X, Y, Z kind of movement happens. That's a big behavioral thing to watch for. Um, <laughs> another big one, this is kind of hard to tell, I guess, for uh, for children and adolescents. And, you know, I'll throw myself in this bucket is mood swings or irritability. But that behaviorally is uh-huh. really a huge sign of like hormonal imbalance. And so um, when you're not feeling, your brain runs off of carbohydrate. And so when you are, that's what it's kind mm-hmm. of geared naturally to do. When you don't have that, you have a lot of different um, chemicals in your brain that kind of get out of balance. And it's really easy to make you irritable and for your mood to kind of go all over the place. So um, I think that's a good one to kind of watch for in conjunction with some other things. Okay. So you talked about behavioral and then you said that there's also some physical. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so physically a lot of fatigue. Um, and I think that's one that gets dismissed and pushed over a lot because we just think, Oh, we're all busy or there's so much going on, but chronic fatigue really is a sign of undernourishment. Um, and it could be whether it's a, a binge purge type of behavior, you could have somebody who is eating enough, but they might not be keeping it right? They could be purging via vomiting. Mm -hmm. They could be doing the excessive exercise. They could be using other things uh, to compensate. So chronic fatigue is a big one. Um, Dehydration, sometimes that's a little harder to tell because most of the time you're going to notice like dark concentrated urine because oftentimes they're they're, um, when you're not adequately nourished, carbohydrate affects your ability to stay hydrated too in your muscle and your liver. Um, So if somebody is Underfueled, they're very likely um, dehydrated in that same process. There's a few things you'd, you'd be able to tell, like at a physician's office, right? Like if you, like bradycardia is the term we use for like reduced heart rate. So if you've got a low heart rate, if you notice like your pulse has kind of died down a little bit, lack of concentration is a big physical sign too. So if you're having a conversation and you're noticing your child or teen maybe seems to have a little, it takes them a little longer to get their thought together having some lack of concentration or even some confusion can be a major telltale sign of malnutrition and, you know, not, not adequately carb, um, not, not having adequate carbohydrate intake. That's, that's a really big one. Easy, like bruising or obvious, I mean, for sure a bone break, um, is usually an indicator of low bone, bone mineral density, or maybe even some muscle breakdown. Those are probably ones physically that might be easiest you know, for a parent to see or that you might notice at like a basic checkup. 
think another one from a physical standpoint that might be easy to see is like uh, if you do get a, a bruise or a cut and it takes a really long time to heal, that's another huge indicator usually of like a zinc deficiency, but also protein and total energy intake. So, you know, if your child gets a cut or a scrape and it's just not healing, um, that's usually a sign of, of under undernutrition as well. Okay. Those are really interesting. I had not heard all of those. So thank you for that. Um, okay. So if a parent is listening and they're like, huh, this might be something I am a little concerned about how, um, cause again, we're talking about teens. And so like you talked about, you know, the hormones are a little off, they get defensive. I mean, mm-hmm. I think even the best, the, the most, um, mild mannered can, can, not react in the way that we would want them to, how can we initiate a conversation and communicate concern if, um, if we're seeing some of these red flags? I, w- I would say first and foremost, um, especially with, with children and teens, the conversation needs to be for sure something, something that is intended in that moment, right? You don't ever want to ambush somebody and just like notice something they're doing in the moment and call it out immediately um, and just say like, let's stop and talk about this. Why aren't you eating? Um, That can feel, that can get very defensive very quickly and feel attacked. And if somebody is feeling attacked, they're, they're much less likely to be honest about their struggle. So I would say, you know, rather than kind of just popping it on them in the moment, setting aside a time to meet um, for sure somewhere that's not public. And you want to pick somewhere where your child or teen feels comfortable or feels safe. You want to create an environment where they're going to be more likely and uh, willing to open up to you. So I think that would be the first thing. And then you don't want to just say like, Hey, what's wrong with you? Like you want to be really specific. So if, if you're starting to notice, you know, maybe some of those red flag behaviors or physical signs indicate some of those specific observations that led you to your concern so that you, you kind of have a reason to say, Hey, I'm noticing you know, you're going to the bathroom a lot right after we eat. And, you know, behaviorally, that's another sign to watch for, for potential purging. So, hey, I'm noticing, you know, pretty consistently the last several nights or the last week or two, um, you kind of rush from the table and, you know, go to the restroom or go on a walk. And that's given me a little bit of concern. Can you tell me what that's about? So asking some questions, but giving some specific observation. And then for sure, I think one of the biggest ones is, using I statements, not you statements. So that is something that keeps them from getting on the defense. So it might be like, Hey, I've noticed that, you know, you've been really tired lately, or I've noticed this behavior and I'm concerned about you, not what are you doing? Why is, why is this, you know, (laughs) your, your way of communicating or, um, a lot of you language can feel very attacking and they'll get, defensive usually pretty quickly. So coming back to the I, I've seen this, or this is making me feel this way. I'm nervous about this um, is usually a, a much more caring and compassionate way to, to get some honest truth. That sounds very similar to uh, dealing with relationships as well. Oh, for sure. <laughs> with, 100%. You know, I, I, I feel, uh, yeah, <laughs> just relationships in general. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. So f- from the from the registered dietitian perspective, mm-hmm. and this is a little bit of a complicated question, but I think you'll follow along with me. 
you know, a lot of my community are women my age. Um, I'm 46 years old, you know, so, you know, there are a lot of them are like 35 to 55. And a lot of us have grown up with these rules, um, which I'm breaking in my new book, but that's, (laughs) that's a side note. Um, Actually, one of them is one of the chapter titles I had to laugh was, is um, I have to work off dessert. And so that's a rule to break. So, (laughs) but um, you know, we've grown up with these rules. And so we feel like, okay, well, I have to do this. And I, and there are a million different ways of eating, approaching the foods that we eat. Are we counting our macros? Are we counting our calories? All in the name of trying to do the right thing and trying to treat our body well. Now, mm-hmm. that being said, we can definitely take it a little too far sometimes. Um, we can kind of be in the wrong headspace. The action is not necessarily the problem. It's sometimes it's the intent and the heart behind it. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering from a nutritional perspective like that, you know, our children see so much of what we do. And I, and I want to be very, very sensitive and gentle with this as I go into it, because I would never, I want to be very clear to the people listening. Um, I would never place the only word I'm coming up with is blame on a parent for a child. But as Mm -hmm. people who are aware of what we're eating, as we are trying to fill our boots with bodies, that word came out wrong, with healthy foods, (laughs) (laughs) that was bodies and foods. Okay. <laughs> but as we're trying to do that, how do we not cross that line and model something to our children where the action might be fine, but the mindset might not be? That's a really complicated question. And I hope th- I hope that makes sense to you. Yes. Yeah. So I love that question. Um, and I'm in 100% agreement that the behavior oftentimes has no, um, no moral or no like, you know, hey, this is bad, right? Like, I'm not ever going to say counting macros is terrible or exercise is terrible, right? But it can be used in a very disordered way based on the mindset, the intent, and really kind of the identity behind it. So I think one of the biggest Mm -hmm. things that parents can do to really help um, still promote health, um, and I say that lightly, I don't typically like to use the word healthy, especially when it comes to food, right? Because um, by my book, Health is not a size. It's not a number. It's a behavior. And so one of the big things Amen. that I really yes. like to, en- yes, yeah. one of the big things I really like to encourage, um, not just my clients, but I work with a lot of adolescents. And so with their parents and families and support systems, we talk a lot about the language that we use around food and around your body and getting so much away from like, this is healthy. This is unhealthy. This is junk food. This is, you know, clean food. If I hear the term clean eat, eat, clean eating during a session, I'm like, okay, just so, you know, we get that clarity, you know, again, if I use the term clean eating, I'm talking about something I can give to my like 20 month old where she doesn't walk away from the table and there's mess everywhere. Like that's the closest we get to clean eating, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is clean eating in our house. Um you know, that would, in- that would not include something like Nutella or yogurt where I'm going to have to change her clothes before daycare. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> we try to really get away from, from those foods. And there's scripture that talks about, you know, how the, the Lord made all foods clean. Right. And so that's probably another mm-hmm. conversation for another day, but, but really getting away from the language. And so looking at, um, instead of referring to foods as good or bad or healthy or unhealthy, 
not comparing one food to another and just looking at the food for what it is, what value can it bring me? Sometimes that is nutritional. Sometimes maybe there's less nutritional value uh, per se, but maybe there's still a mental, psychological, social benefit, right? Um, One thing I hear all the time or question I get when I'm talking about this is, well, what about like cupcakes or what about ice cream? I'm like, okay, well, think about, let's not compare it. Let's look individually. Okay. If I'm looking at ice cream from a nutritional value standpoint, gives me energy. That's going to keep my body going. It's going to help me think. It's going to help me survive, right? It's going to keep my lungs going and my heart beating. Huge benefit, right? Um, It's dairy. So I'm getting some Mm -hmm. calcium. I'm getting little bits of carbohydrate, protein, and fat with it, you know, in varying amounts. So there is some nutritional benefit there, but it's also one of those foods that I would consider like a fun food, right? Like it, maybe it doesn't necessarily, it's not going to make my body feel great if I eat a very large amount of it or like I won't say every day. I probably have ice cream several times a week because that's one of my favorite fun foods, right? But but I know if I eat it in large amounts in one sitting, it's not going to make my body feel great because there's right. there's other things my body needs too. And so the other benefits it gives me though is pleasure and enjoyment, right? Like the Lord would not have given us taste buds if he didn't intend for us to use them, right? Like we, we could just, everything could just taste exactly the same. I have a client right now who... Um, has lost her, her smell and taste from COVID and it hasn't come back. So I think that's one thing you start. Yeah. You start appreciating like, okay, I can enjoy all these different textures and flavors and smells. And so being able to acknowledge that, yes, maybe this food gives me some nutritional value, but it also gives me a chance to connect with somebody else. Maybe you want to go out and have a fun coffee drink or dessert or meal out with somebody that's a huge benefit. That's social connection. That is memories that you're making. And so I think getting away from just looking at the foods, quote unquote, nutritional value and looking at the total value and what can this bring to my life other than just, you know, what and what's on the label. And so what I'm hearing you say too, is as parents, when we start talking about this stuff, communicating that to our kids, not just like good, bad, clean, dirty, you know, whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. and, reaching that out, it's a much broader perspective of, um, of how the food benefits us rather than just what the label says. Right. Right. And you can focus on how does, how does this food make my body feel after I have it? Yeah. Right. And it's still avoiding that good and bad, but going, okay, this food makes me feel this way. This food makes me kind of feel this way. How do I need to feel right now? Or what do I need right now? Do I want something that's more hearty and satisfying or do I want just like a little something to tide me over? Cause I know we've got dinner in an hour. So being able to look at the different functionality of food and, and different ways it meets your needs. That makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Okay. If we have someone in our life who is struggling with some variation of disordered eating, uh, can you provide a few ways of um, of supporting that? Because I think that there are definitely things that people think might be helpful and perhaps they're not <laughs> or vice versa. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So um, I think one of the things that's usually not very um, supportive or helpful is just trying to give a really quick, simple solution. Right. I have so many clients that say, well, my mom or dad or husband or wife or whatever, just tell me, just eat. Like, okay, if you're not eating enough, just mm-hmm. eat. Um, and anyone who is ever struggling with an eating disorder will tell you that is like the least helpful thing, right? Because it's not about the food. It's, it, it shows up. Food is food is kind of the side effect or the symptom of how it shows up, but it's not the the, the struggle. So 
moving away from that, and and regardless of whether when you talk to a loved one, regardless of whether they deny the issue that you're mentioning, or maybe they get a little hostile, it's still important to, I think, encourage them to seek, you know, professional treatment, even if it's just meeting with, maybe it's a church counselor, right? Like they may not feel comfortable talking to you as a parent about it, but there may be somebody else that they're willing to open up with and be honest with. Um, I see that a lot. And I try to provide, you know, to my clients, a safe space where let's talk about this from maybe somebody who's a little bit removed from the everyday situation. So, so encouraging like, Hey, it's okay if you don't want to talk to me about this right now, but are you open to talking with somebody about it? I think that's a really great place to start. I don't know if you've had any experience with that or if um, anybody listening would say like, Hey, yeah, I'm like, maybe as a parent, I'm nervous to talk to my child about it. But, you know, I I think having somebody else to come into the situation that isn't a a professional standpoint can be really helpful. Um, And I I will say kind of disclaimer Mm -hmm. with this, not all therapists or dietitians or healthcare providers are created equally in the sense of training. Right. So, um, like I would not ask somebody to come to me for nutritional advice on fertility, right? That's not my specialty. So I'm not going to tell somebody, right. I'm not mm-hmm. going to encourage somebody, hey, just go find a dietitian because I don't want to send them to somebody who is like only focused on weight loss, right? Or only focused on another area that right. the disordered eating isn't something they're even familiar with. That's a really great point that, that everybody does have their specialties and their own ways of going about and practicing whatever it is that they're in. You know, it's funny because as we were talking um, or during this conversation, I feel like a lot of our conversation is is definitely within, you know, the 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 under the hat of the registered dietitian, but also there's a lot of, you know, kind of more mental health counseling aspects in there. And Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering, like, do you have, I mean, I have to imagine that you probably have, and maybe with it's, it's with, you know, a local, I don't know if you do more local or more face to face, we can get into that in a second. But like, I have to imagine that there's a lot of working within, um, in conjunction with mental health professionals or counselors, in a way that is, like HIPAA, like you, where you can, you can do that, right. Without, without getting out of the privacy of the clients or something like that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So that is one thing I'm a huge fan of collaboration. So I used to work in a treatment center setting where every day of the week I was meeting with therapists, family therapists. Um, We had a psychiatrist that was on site several times a week. We had an internal medicine physician. We had other, other types of counselors and specialists. And so I, I know my scope and I know my boundaries as a dietitian and nutrition recovery coach, but I, I'm always open to listening to my clients, but I know where the line comes when it comes to like, I'm not just going to give random advice or my two cents on something. If a client asks my opinion, kind of in the moment I have to decide, is this appropriate or not? And I may say, hey, look, I can tell you what I would encourage, but as far as giving you specific feedback and next steps, we really need to collaborate with your therapist on this. And so for many of my clients, um, I won't work with them unless they're also collaborating with the therapist. And we will, we have something called like an ROI, which is a release of information. And so that allows me and the therapist to get on a call or email and say, let's make sure we're all on the same team. We're making the same types of recommendations and helping our clients to the best of their ability so that we're treating the whole person, not just the eating disorder. Oh, that seems just so wise and so holistic, which I think is missing, unfortunately, sometimes from our 
relationships with our some of our medical providers because it's like, nope, you came in here for this issue and I'm not going to pay attention to anything else. So I love to hear that there is that collaboration, mm-hmm. um, avail- at least available. I mean, I have to imagine there probably there are some who still kind of are a little bit more siloed, but I just, that seems like that would be more beneficial to the healing process, particularly with, with um, people who are struggling with disordered eating. Okay. On your website, you say something about a weight neutral perspective, which really pinged my interest because my listeners know I'm not about the weight at all uh, anymore. (laughs) Used to be, definitely used to be, not so much anymore. Tell, Tell us what you mean by that, what weight neutral perspective is. Yeah. So, so really that comes down to, you know, weight does not equal health. Um, and so I'm never going to assume that when someone comes to me, I do, um, telehealth. And so I don't see any clients in person. Um, it's been this way the whole time, not just because of COVID. So I do primarily video sessions, some phone calls, but I never assume when someone comes to me and says, Hey, here's my weight or Hey, do you, do you see the body type that I'm working with? I never assume that because of their weight that I know what their struggle is. Um, there are so many factors outside of what you eat and how much you move your body that affect your body's size and shape. So, so those are kind of the big things and anybody can struggle with any kind of disordered behavior. I bet there's however many people listening to this that are all dealing with, they might all have the same struggle with restricting a certain food group. The thing I hear all the most, or the question I get the most, I think is, are carbohydrates bad? No, they're not, right? But if you if you struggle with restricting carbohydrate, if somebody told me I couldn't have chocolate ever again, I, you know, that would make me the most sad ever. And so I have to say like carbohydrates. We would die have, a little bit inside. Yes, I might I might die a lot of it inside. So <laughs> so like educating on those things is so important, right? And so anybody can struggle with that behavior regardless of body size. And so kind of what that ends up looking like is equal treatment regardless of body size or shape. There's not going to be any assumptions. Mm-hmm. I have no right to judge. I'm not a judge or jury. I'm going to ask you and anticipate. You know, I'll always have to, um, I say this with a little caveat. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to assume you're being honest, but I'm also going to, um, I'm, I'm going to take your side, not the eating disorder side. So if you tell me something that sounds like maybe you're, maybe you're not being totally honest, how much is the eating disorder influencing that comment? Or, or question. So, so really it comes back to oh. equal treatment. I feel like you need to repeat that. That was really good. I'm, yeah. I feel like that <laughs> that's, that bears repeating. I'm going to take your side and not the eating disorder side. Yes. That that's powerful. is something, that's that really is something I have to really reiterate to a lot of my adolescent clients, especially because I'll get a different story from them than I do from mom and dad. Mom and dad will say, hey, I'm seeing these behaviors. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing this. They're acting this way. They're being real sneaky. And they're like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. You know, and these conversations are happening at separate times until we get on, you know, like a group call. And um, which I always like for, for most of my adolescence, I like on a, we, we meet for several weeks or months at a time. And so I'll say, okay, kind of the condition with this is that mom and dad or one or the other, you know, are going to be a part of this conversation. And so one of the things I have to let my, especially my adolescent clients know, and this isn't uh, strictly for adolescents, but I see it most, I think is if you tell me something that maybe is different than what mom and dad's telling me, or that, you know, my gut, that the Lord is kind of placing on my heart saying there's a little mm, something, something's not right. 
I'm never going to take the eating disorder side. I'm always going to question that, but I'm always for you. Like I want your recovery. I'm on your side the whole way, but I'm not going to trust the eating disorder. That's great. Okay. As we near our converse, the end of our conversation, what is there, is there anything out there that you just wish that all parents of adolescents knew with regard to, I won't use the word healthy eating, <laughs> but eating, um, in a, in a healthful way, um, that is not disordered. So we can kind of keep it in that bucket, but is there anything that we haven't covered that you're like, man, I just wish everybody knew this. I would say just to like the the shortest sentence I could probably sum it up in is that all foods fit. Um, yeah. Foods have zero morals, right? Like a food does not have the capability of making a decision right or wrong. And just because you choose to eat or something eat, to eat something or not eat something, it doesn't make you doing something right or wrong, or it doesn't make you a better or worse person because you feel like you're eating better or more healthy. So, I think that, again, comes back to the yes. language around food, how we refer to it, and how we, we talk about our bodies when we eat food, to know that every food can be part of a healthful lifestyle. They all have a purpose. And yes, there are some foods maybe that are more nutritionally dense than others, but it doesn't mean that those are the only foods we're allowed to include or that we should include. You are a girl after my own heart. I love it. <laughs> I totally agree with all of that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, a couple more questions. Totally different questions. Number one, this is one that I ask of all my guests. I am fascinated by tattoos. I have found that people um, oftentimes when they decide to put something permanently on the body, they have thought a lot about it and uh, have a great story behind it. So I was wondering if you have a tattoo, if you would be willing to share it with us. And if you don't, if you had to get one, what would it be and where would it go? Oh, okay. So I don't have any tattoos and I'll tell you why. It's because I had a really terrible experience. I went with one of my best friends in high school to get one and she like nearly broke my hand, squeezing it going, Oh my gosh, it was so awful. So I was like, I'm never, I'm never doing that. I'm terrified of needles. Um, but I have always said that if I were to get one, it would, it would definitely be, um, like something, you know, to commemorate a major event. Um, whether it was like a celebratory or, you know, if I lost somebody tragically or if, you know, I have, I've considered getting like my children's initials or something. Um, but it would for sure have to be somewhere that cannot be seen, you know, on cameras. I'll probably end up, you know, with it on, you know, a shoulder or my back or somewhere that's, that's just for me. Um, but yes, I'm terrified of needles. So probably won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's always fun to think about. It's always fun to oh, think yeah. about. Um, and then do you have a meaningful Bible verse that you would like to, um, that you can share with my community? Oh, yes. Um, we'd need another, another episode to talk about the story behind it. But um, one of, one of my very favorites that a mentor kind of spoken to me during um, our kind of infertility journey um, is from Mark chapter 11, verse 24. And it says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And I I love this one. It is near and dear to my heart. And it is one that I really like to speak over my clients because so many of them are are discouraged. And so if you're listening to this and you are struggling with disordered eating or you have a chronic health condition or whatever it might be, 
when you come into agreement with the Lord and you know that, hey, this is something that you have for me, having that thanksgiving and gratitude for it beforehand and knowing that this is something, Lord, that you are promising me, I know that, then you coming into agreement with that and believing it, I think is just something really, really powerful and encouraging. That is, that's awesome. Okay, Brittany, tell people how they can get in touch with you because I have a feeling that that we're going to have a lot of people who are really interested in hearing more of what you have to say. The best place is on my website. So it's brittanybraswellrd.com. And if you're interested, I mean, I do have, I have a lot of really great free resources. So um, if, you know, with some of the things we talked about today, you want to know a little bit more about, well, how do I move away from maybe some of those disorder eating behaviors and get more into the intuitive eating, like listening to my body, focusing on getting away from good and bad foods. I have a, I have a free ebook that goes through the 10 principles of intuitive eating from a biblical perspective. And so that's absolutely free. That's on my resource page. Um, so that's probably the best place to get that. And then I love connecting with people on Instagram. I'm maybe on Facebook a little bit less, um, but you can find me on both at Brittany Braswell RD. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for your, um, for your time, for coming on. And I have learned a lot and I just agree with so much of what you have said. And I'm, I'm just really grateful for you and your wisdom. Well, thank you so much again for having me, Amy. It was, um, it was a blessing and so excited to be here. I just love Brittany's perspective on food, eating, and our bodies and how she intertwines our faith into all of that. And I adore her definition of clean eating. <laughs> it's been a while since my kids dropped their macaroni and cheese on the floor, but I completely resonate with uh, <laughs> with all of that. Be sure to connect with her on the socials. And if you have someone in your life who is affected by eating disorders, consider sharing this with them and um, if it's appropriate. Sometimes it is appropriate, sometimes it's not. But Brittany has such a beautiful heart for those hurting from not having a good relationship with food, and maybe this will serve them or serve someone they love. Don't forget to check out the goodies over at gracedhealth.com slash resources. And I just want to take a minute to thank you for listening to this podcast. I know you have lots and lots of options, and I'm grateful to spend a few minutes with you here. So thank you. And if you want, let's take it a step further. Join the Graced Health community over on Facebook, and we can connect a little bit more uh, that way. If you've been listening for a while, would you be so kind as to provide a rating and a review? Those are more helpful than you know in getting the word out that, yes, grace-filled health is possible. It's there. We just got to get the word out because there's so many rules out there. What's the one simple thing to remember? This is something I offer at the end of every episode with my guests. Boy, there's a lot on here. But I think what really sticks with me is the language we use surrounding food in our bodies has such an impact on ourselves and the people around us. Let's do our best to demonstrate positive relationships with food and our bodies and do our part to stop the madness. And if you agree, if you have not yet listened to episode five in this season, go back and listen to that because 
I've provided I or I do a lot of planning uh, over the summer and particular times of the year. And I had already scheduled a solo episode on impactful words we don't want to say around our people. And then Brittany comes on and she's talking about this. And this is such an important message. So if this resonates with you, if you haven't yet listened to season five to episode five, in this season, go back and listen to it. Okay, that is all for today. Go out there and have a great day. <laughs>